This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Beginning with a frightening hit and run today in Burnaby that left two police officers lying on the road with serious injuries. Now we should warn you, the images may be upsetting to some viewers. It happened just before noon and while police have the suspect vehicle, they're still looking for the driver. Our Grace Key is live in Burnaby where it happened with the latest. Grace. Well, police have wrapped up their investigation. This road is back open to traffic, and you can see the uh, police canine truck there just getting loaded off and being about to get towed away here. At this hour, police now looking for the driver of that hit-and-run vehicle. It's the terrifying aftermath. Emergency crews rush to help two of their own after a car goes racing down the street, pummeling into two officers standing next to their canine truck. Two were against the truck, and one was at the corner of the truck, and the one that was at the corner just within seconds got out of the way, so the two took the big hit. It happened just before noon in a Burnaby Industrial Park on the 5,000 block of North Fraser Way. Witnesses say the white car tried to pass the semi-truck on the right side, striking the officers. So I saw the truck, but at the, the, the nose to the truck is where the car was in the pinch and the car just hit them full speed and they went, whoa, right up in the air. The one guy, he was midway through that, uh, that pole in height. The two police officers were lying down, so I tried to talk to them. I said, are you hurt or something like that? And they, one of them was very badly hurt turned upside down and uh, he was saying I can't breathe I can't breathe just before the collision a report came in of an impaired driver nearby on burn road and marine way an officer spotted the Toyota Camry but it quickly fled the suspect vehicle fled on burn um, and actually went into oncoming traffic so the Burnaby member did not believe it would be safe to pursue that's when the Toyota sped to this industrial park, striking the officers who just happened to be in the area, training their police dogs. The car was then spotted an hour later, abandoned nearby on Keith Street. The suspect is still on the loose. Both of them had been hit so seriously. Like, the, the, the impact was just, it was crazy. So you could see the parts flown everywhere and... and and it was, it was just, I, I just, I, I thought they weren't going to make it. Those two police officers with the in, a Lower Mainland Integrated Police Dog Service, one an RCMP officer, at last report in serious but had non-life-threatening uh, injuries. The other one with the Abbotsford Police Department. Now, he will be released later on tonight. He uh, didn't suffer any broken bones. Again, this hour, the suspect's still on the loose, and police are asking if you have any dash cam video. If you think you saw that late model Toyota Camry with tinted windows in the South Burnaby area, Area between 11.30 a.m. and 1 o'clock p.m., you're asked to contact police. All right, thanks for that. Grace Key in Burnaby for us. 
Newly released court documents are revealing more information about the case of a former RCMP senior investigator accused of misconduct in the Surrey 6 murder case. Earlier this year, Derek Brassington pleaded guilty to breach of trust and obstruction of justice in connection with the investigation into BC's worst gangland massacre. Brassington carried on a sexual relationship over several months with a potential key witness in the case while he was working as one of the lead investigators. He was given a conditional sentence of two years less a day to be served in the community. And Global's Ramina Dea is live in our newsroom with the new information from some of those court documents. Ramina. Stunning new details dropping today, Chris. Derek Brassington, described as a rising star with the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team, was suffering from PTSD and severe anxiety due to intense pressure he felt to solve the Surrey 6 case, clouding his judgment, according to court documents. Now, after the affair with Jane Doe was revealed, Brassington was so distraught, a colleague took away his service weapon out of concern, but he remained on the job. During one three-month stretch working with one of the shooting suspects, Person X, Brassington worked 395 hours of overtime. He described the process as having to sell his soul to the devil. In a character reference letter, Brassington's eldest brother described IHIT as a meat grinder. He said, quote, I liken Derek and many members of IHIT in that era to thoroughbreds. The RCMP were willing to ride them as hard as they could for as long as they could, but would shoot them without a thought if they tripped and broke a leg. In another character reference, Brassington's ex-wife said, quote, I strongly believe Derek was doing his job, his best job during the Surrey 6 investigation, and he was doing it well. Unfortunately, the RCMP management was not doing theirs. We have reached out to the RCMP and to IHIT for comment on the explosive details revealed in the court documents. We are waiting for a response. Chris. All right, Ramina, thanks very much. We'll see what they eventually say. Now, the federal government is putting more than $5 million into fighting gang violence in B.C. The money will go towards training, community consultation, and the development of indigenous gun and gang violence prevention tools. There was a spike in gang-related homicides in B.C. in 2017, and statistics show it's not just a big city problem. Well, with Vancouver's 420 Pot Festival less than seven weeks away, many, including the Park Board, are hoping this is the last year at Sunset Beach. But one of the suggested alternative locations here at the PNE is meeting with increasing resistance. The idea is being called a logistical nightmare. John Hua has the latest. From roller coasters and super pets putting on a show to a cloud of cannabis smoke and massive rally for all things pot related. Pico G $20. Neighbors are weighing in on the possibility of 420 being held at the PNE <laughs> as early as next year. The smell of the smoke is gonna be everywhere. I don't think the neighborhood would like it at all. People want to party though, so you gotta have it somewhere. While the PNE has given reasons why 420 wasn't the greatest fit in the past, its board of directors and the public will now get their say. If the board felt that they wanted to take a different direction on the policy, which is 
that events need to meet specific requirements and criteria, uh, they could give us that direction. Now there are plenty of steps organizers of 420 will have to take to meet the criteria of the PE, including available space, proper insurance, and coverage by WorkSafe BC, plans to protect the green space, and also respect current union agreements. All costs are the responsibility of the organizer, and there has to be proper food health inspections. And last but most importantly, there can't be unreasonable impact to neighboring residences. We probably could work those things out and go to the PE if there was a good faith effort to work together and to try to make this a reality. With 420 being held at Sunset Beach without permission again this year, Vancouver Council will vote on a motion this week to find a better location once and for all. We don't want to just move the problems to a different area. What we want to do is set up a good strategy moving forward. 420 organizers say government has failed to find anything in the past. And despite the haze, one thing is clear. They are perfectly happy where they are. John Hua, Global News. More evidence the Metro Vancouver real estate market is still softening and moving towards a buyer's market. The latest stats from the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver show that nearly 28% fewer detached properties sold last month compared with February of 2018. And the benchmark price of those properties dropped nearly 10% to just under $1.5 million. Sales of apartments also fell by nearly 36%, and townhome sales declined nearly 31%. Now, the shovels are a long way from hitting the ground for a SkyTrain line to UBC, but one Vancouver City Councillor is already worried about the effect it will have on the price of housing. As Tanya Beja reports, Pete Fry wants to freeze rezoning along the corridor with the possibility that some areas could be rental only. A SkyTrain to UBC is still a long way off, but one city councillor wants to make sure the promise of new public transit doesn't send real estate prices soaring. Don't expect that you can buy this land with some wild dreams of making a big profit because we're not promising that at all. Pete Fry proposing a motion to create an emergency interim zoning policy for the Broadway corridor to UBC. No new rezoning applications would be considered along the line or 800 metres on either side while the city's planning process is underway. The motion also asks staff to look at options for rental-only zoning. It's really designed to make sure that the areas around transit infrastructure aren't just speculated upon and used to build luxury condos, but in fact... That land is used to build housing for people who live and work in in, in our city and use transit. Fry says he hopes the land rush that followed the arrival of the Canada Line on Camby won't be repeated along Broadway. As soon as you put a a SkyTrain line in, as we've seen at Camby, places like that, you know, all these low buildings are destroyed and everything um, becomes very pricey. I think they should let the market take care of itself. The prices are just going to go sky high here with people speculating. Others worry the motion might have unintended consequences, like slowing down construction of new housing supply or shutting out childcare and non-profit facilities or other home ownership options. If this interim zoning policy is too prescriptive, my worry is that it will actually hurt affordability in the city of Vancouver. Fry's motion goes to council Tuesday. Tanya Beja, Global News.
A huge public transit controversy is coming to a head in West Vancouver tonight as City Council votes on what to do about a bus route. The fight is over the extension of a route that already exists and pits transit users against drivers. Catherine Urquhart is in West Vancouver with the details. Well, the debate continues tonight over the B-Line here in West Vancouver. It's happening tonight at City Hall. Councillor Peter Lamber is presenting a motion. He's asking staff to look into the possibility of the B-Line terminating at Park Royal rather than having it continue from Fibs Exchange in North Vancouver all the way through to 24th in Dunderave. Now, Lambert is also asking staff to explore improvements along Marine Drive. A number of rallies and protests have taken place in the district since news broke of the B-Line extension plans. Lambert's motion requests that staff report back in 30 days, at which time we should have a much better idea as to the future of the B-Line. Back to you. Catherine Urquhart in West Van for us. Well, drivers in Burnaby and Coquitlam are the latest to deal with traffic slowdowns caused by gas line upgrades. In Burnaby, low heat highway between Kensington and Bainbridge Avenues is down to one lane in each direction. Drivers are urged to take another route or be prepared for big delays. The same work is now underway along Como Lake Avenue in Coquitlam. Westbound traffic will be limited to local traffic, buses and emergency vehicles. As for when the projects will wrap up, Fortis BC will only say that they should be done sometime this year. Another major blow to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the SNC-Lavalin scandal as another prominent cabinet minister resigns in support of BC MP Jody Wilson-Raybould. Keith Baldry joins us live from Victoria and Keith Jane Philpott says she's quitting because she's lost confidence in the cabinet, lost confidence in how the government's handling this whole thing. Yeah, the, the hits just keep coming for the Trudeau government and the Prime Minister himself. Uh, Jane Philpott, a very highly regarded cabinet minister, uh, stepped down as president of the Treasury Board, a former uh, health minister, personally recruited by Mr. Trudeau, so, uh, and also a close friend of Jody Wilson-Raybould. So today's uh, move by her wasn't completely unexpected. She did release, though, a very damning letter, not a terse one-line resignation. No, sir, this is a very to-the-point condemnation of uh, Mr. Trudeau's office's conduct in the SNC-Lavalin matter. Here's some saying that uh, there we go. Unfortunately, the evidence of efforts by politicians and/or officials to pressure the former attorney general to intervene in the criminal case involving SNC-Lavalin and the evidence as to the content of those efforts have raised serious concerns for me. She goes on to say further that the it is a fundamental. fundamental doctrine of the rule of law that our Attorney General should not be subjected to political pressure or interference regarding the exercise of her prosecutorial discretion in criminal cases. And she closes by saying, sadly, I have lost confidence in how the government has dealt with this mistake, with this matter, and how it has responded to the issues raised. Very damning language from someone who was a close confidant of uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. Uh, Prime Minister back east tonight, just recently in the last hour, taking the stage in a campaign rally, looking rather stressed and also facing heckling from the crowd, but a slight change of tone in his response to this bombshell today. I know Ms. Philpott has felt this way for some time, and while I am disappointed, I understand her decision to step down, and I want to thank her for her service. In a democracy like ours, 
and in a space where we value our diversity so strongly, we're allowed to have disagreements and debate. We even encourage it. Concerns of this nature must be taken very seriously, and I can assure you that I am. So Jody Wilson-Rabel on Twitter today said to the incomparable Jane Philbot, truly the mother of the country, for almost four years our country has witnessed your constant and unassailable commitment to always doing what is right and best for Canadians. Uh, you are a leader of vision and strength, and I look forward to continuing to work alongside you. The question now, of course, is where are they going to be working? Will they be working alongside each other in the Liberal caucus? Uh, they're basically a game of chicken now with, with Justin Trudeau. Does he kick them out of caucus? Does the caucus kick them out of caucus? Or do they just proceed to work... Uh, together, albeit in a very uncomfortable climate inside that room. So we'll see where it goes next. Uncomfortable is right. All right. Thank you for that, Keith. But first, tensions between Canada and China are ratcheting up once again in the wake of Ottawa's decision to go ahead with the extradition of a Chinese executive in the U.S. As Aaron MacArthur reports, China has responded to the decision on Meng Wanzhou by accusing two Canadians of being spies. Two Canadians, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, detained in China for months on vague accusations, now face the possibility of the death penalty. Both men now accused of spying and passing on state secrets. The escalation, according to experts, nothing more than a response to Canada moving forward on extradition hearings for Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. Simply collateral damage to the Chinese case of Meng Wanzhou. So I'm deeply concerned and saddened by this development. While the process moves forward in Beijing, the Canadian courts will be asked to quash Meng Wanzhou's extradition entirely. Her legal team filing claim over the weekend saying the Chinese nationals' charter rights were breached. She was arrested and detained, possibly illegally, and then questioned without a formal arrest and without a lawyer present. Immigration experts say there's more than a reasonable case here. The judge may well ask whether or not CBSA frustrated charter rights, knowing full well that when you're arrested, you have to be warned of your right to remain silent, your right to counsel. That was not done. As the legal processes in both countries plot along, international relations between China and Canada continue to deteriorate. Mr. Trump could uh, uh, end this. He's created the problem. Uh, the United States has created this problem. They've thrown Canada under the bus. And the question is whether uh, we're going to be able to get off the bus. Meng's lawsuit can't be heard until after her extradition hearing. The Huawei executive, comfortable in her multi-million dollar home, possibly for years as the court process plays itself out. The two men stuck in a Chinese jail may not have that long. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. More than 500 firefighters from across B.C. marching in Victoria today to honor 15 members who have died in the line of duty. The memorial parade winding through the streets of the Capitol before a ceremony on the lawn of the legislature. The fallen firefighters lost their lives due to injury and work-related illnesses. Despite better protective gear, crews still face dangers on the job and increased risk for cancers and coronary disease. It's important for all of us to, uh, as firefighters, to honour our fallen, not only as, as firefighters, but for the families as well. This family extends well past the fire hall, and for us to come together, it means an awful lot for everybody. 
Now to the latest on tax time. If you owe the government money, the tax return deadline is looming. But be warned, others may try to take your cash before April 30th. Our consumer reporter Andrea is here with some tips on how to avoid fraudsters posing as the Canadian Revenue Agency employees. And always a very big problem at this time of year. Thanks you too. Tax scams come in many different forms. Phone calls, text messages, even emails. The Better Business Bureau is warning the public to brace for an increase in tax-related scams as we approach tax season. Now most tax scams will involve fraudsters who pretend to be from the Canada Revenue agency. These scams typically start with a phone call with scammers often threatening their victims that they owe money and to make payments immediately, sometimes in the form of prepaid credit or gift cards, iTunes cards or Bitcoin. Scammers may also ask for your personal information via text message or email to gain access to your personal information to file tax returns in your name and collect your refund. Beware of fraudsters who may ask for your passport, social insurance number, bank account number, or credit card number. The BBB says the best way to avoid tax identity theft is to file your taxes as early as possible before a scammer has the chance to use your information to file a fraudulent return. As for who is most at risk to be scammed at tax time, the BBB says it's seniors, new immigrants, and millennials. The millennials are, you know, they're more most aware of what is going on. You know, they're they're in tune. They're tech savvy. They're social media savvy as well. But at the same time, being raised in a fast paced world, you are almost overconfident. And that is what their vulnerability is. So they've rushed through the, the, the long documents. They're less likely to read lengthy details, lengthy letters, lengthy emails. And so that's how they miss the signs. So what we encourage millennials to do is to be very thorough. Read your documents from cover to cover. And remember, an email, text message, or other instant messaging platform that requests private information is a scam. The CRA will only send payments to you by direct deposit or check. It will never send you an email with a link to your refund or a link asking you to file your taxes. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters.globalnews.ca. Timely advice. Okay, thanks very much, Ann. Caught on camera, a bizarre wrong-way police chase down a Philadelphia freeway. On the right of the screen, a police vehicle scraping the median. On the left, the truck he's chasing, driving down the shoulder of the highway. The truck sideswipes a number of vehicles before hitting one head-on and then tumbling into the ditch. Police say a number of people were injured. There's no word right now on their condition. A desperate search for survivors continues in Alabama, where at least 23 people are dead after a twister hit Sunday, ravaging the area with winds up to 270 kilometers per hour. It's the deadliest tornado outbreak to strike the U.S. since 2013, wiping out entire neighborhoods. Y'all, oh my God. As it sped across eastern Alabama, the massive tornado taking out a cell phone tower before going on to splinter trees and obliterate homes. Tonight, communities in Lee County are sealed off, and an urgent search for survivors is underway after the deadliest U.S. tornado outbreak in five years. It was awful. I've never seen something like it before in my life. It was, it was bad. Tornado warnings were issued less than 10 minutes before the terrifying winds ripped through the area. So far, at least 23 people are dead. The governor has extended the state of emergency. We lost children, mothers, fathers, neighbors 
and friends. The National Weather Service says this tornado cut a path of destruction about a half mile wide. There is damage as far as the eye can see. Several people died in this neighborhood and the devastation is overwhelming. Everybody in this house is dead. Anthony Franklin is mourning the loss of his Everybody's girlfriend gone. of more than 20 years. This is what's left of her home in Beauregard, Alabama. Maggie is the type of person that's come through this thing once in a lifetime. The tornado in EF4 packed estimated winds of 170 miles an hour, tossing this billboard some 20 miles. A series of twisters sliced through the deep south, also pounding Georgia and South Carolina. To the community of Lee County, we grieve by your side and we pledge our unwavering support to help you rebuild from the very depths of this horrible tragedy. This is where you crowded into? This is where my two boys and I crowded into, yes. Miles Tatum says he huddled with his two sons in a closet while the storm roared through in less than a minute. The only reason this part of the barn was here, I'm convinced, is the Lord saved us and my kids. Tonight, canine units are scouring neighborhoods for any signs of life, and Anthony Franklin is remembering the life he once had. In Health Matters tonight, UBC medical students stuck with nowhere to go after graduating, and they blame a lack of residency training spots. It's even more frustrating with a doctor shortage in BC. Kylie Stanton has more on how the future of physicians are pleading with MLAs for change. So there's your two new parameters. Four years studying here, and BC's medical students are just getting started. Completing their education means securing a residency through the Canadian Resident Matching Service. But year after year, the spots are getting harder to come by. This is so urgent. There's people going unmatched every year. And every unmatched student means one less doctor for the BC population. A group of UBC medical students have traveled to Victoria, advocating on behalf of their peers. I wished uh, everyone in the house to, uh, to make them welcome here in question period. They're meeting with MLAs, asking them to increase the number of training positions that qualify MDs to practice. The issue right now is about increasing the ratio of medical student spots to residency spots. Feel around the head for lymph nodes. Currently in BC, the ratio is just one to one, which resulted in 14 unmatched students last year. They're calling for a 10% increase for the 288 annual graduates across the province, which would mean an additional 29 spots. This is, um, in a way, the most cost-effective way to produce more physicians. Do you want to have a seat up here? The need is there. More than 700,000 British Columbians don't have access to a family doctor. And even more are waiting on specialists. It's an issue that touches across all specialties. And so while we want lots of these spots to be in family medicine, we'd also like to see some specialist training spots made available as well. The health minister acknowledges the gaps in the system, but would not confirm if the government will move ahead with the requested increase. We're taking their concerns very seriously. Obviously, we want to use fully the resources of the healthcare system to provide better care for people and, and people who have made such an extraordinary commitment to their education to become doctors. We want them to be working. The next match is in March of 2020. The group is hoping the additional spots will be in place in time for that graduating class. We want to do our part, but we can't do that if we're unable to finish our training. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Well, some drivers didn't see it coming until the last second. What it was like to be caught in an avalanche after the forecast. And just before we get to that, uh, False Creek is now home to a herring bonanza. 
Fisherman's Wharf, right in the middle of the spawn with millions of eggs deposited over the weekend as schools of herring moved in. Linda Aylesworth has more on the amazing natural phenomenon and the challenges facing this important fish and stream keepers trying to protect it. Every year a miracle of nature is played out in the city when thousands of herring return to False Creek to spawn. This bay has been a place where herring have spawned since the beginning of time. But times have changed and spawning here has become a challenge. The eelgrass they once laid their eggs on is long gone. They probably wouldn't succeed at all if it weren't for the Squamish stream keepers. We were trying to protect salmon and suddenly discovered that herring were spawning on creosote pilings and the eggs were dying. Creosote is toxic to marine life. So about seven years ago, the stream keepers wrapped the pilings with material to protect future eggs. It worked, but there was still the problem of changing tides, which exposed the eggs to oil floating on the surface. So as a result of that, we then built these small nets, and these nets now go up and down with the wharf so that they always stay below the water surface and hopefully protects the eggs. This year they have 180 of those nets in place at Fisherman's Wharf near Granville Island. And just a few days ago, the herring arrived en masse to try them out. And as you can see, this is all white and shiny. Those are all eggs. Probably we're looking at maybe 100,000 or so, maybe a little bit more on this one. It's an encouraging sight because herring all along the Pacific coast are struggling. BC has only one relatively healthy population left and many of them are scheduled to be taken in a fishery any day now. We need herring in order to have a healthy ecosystem. They play a role in almost every link of the food chain. Southern resident killer whales eat Chinook and Chinook eat herring and that's why it's only two steps really from the herring to, to, to the success of the southern resident killer whale population. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Um, pretty cool. Yeah. Right in our own backyard. Very well done. All right, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at a very beautiful but very chilly forecast. That's a lovely shot, Christy. Yes, I think we're all, I'm starting to feel a little bit like it's the prairies, right? The cold weather, but the sunshine, not as cold, I get it. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, relatively, look at this. Iona Beach, thanks to Lindsay for that one. Great shot of the blue sky, and we're seeing terrific conditions right across the province. This nice shot from uh, Squamish, thanks to John for that one. George sending us this one. Not a single cloud in the sky in Williams Lake. And up in through the north, this is north of Mackenzie. Renee sending us this Pine Pass, and you can see the gorgeous icicles with the blue sky and the Alaska Highway north of Fort Nelson. Thanks to David for that one. So it is sensational. Big Arctic ridge of high pressure right across the province province clearing the skies and dropping the temperature. This is a sunset, by the way. Yes, this weekend we spring forward an hour. So our sunset right now is close to 6 o'clock and it will be closer to 5 o'clock in just one week's time, which will be pretty exciting. So these are our temperatures today, 5 degrees at the airport. We should be typically hitting 9. We're 4 degrees below seasonal and even through the overnight periods, 5 degrees. And we'll see similar conditions again tonight and tomorrow. It has been with us, this Arctic air, since the beginning of February. It's much colder back east. But you can see that cold air filtering out across our region as well. Now, this week, we are going to remain below seasonal. But we've got a bit of a break moving towards us finally this weekend. Not enough to make it towards seasonal temperature. It won't be until next week that we will see a, finally a change in this weather pattern. So, yes, next week is when we'll see a big transition. And I think right across the province, we'll see a big warm-up. Whereas coastal regions will see a brief warm-up this week. 
weekend. In the meantime, though, yes, we have a chance of showers or flurries. This is Wednesday morning, most of it in the interior regions, but just touching into the lower mainland. So we'll be tracking that tomorrow and letting you know how much or when we're expecting it. Tomorrow will be mostly dry, though. Sunshine and cold across northern regions, increasing cloud across the south, possible chance of a flurry and through a Soyuz later on in the day, and south coast will see some cloud cover. More so it's Wednesday that we're concerned about for that chance of flurries or showers into Thursday also, but then we clear out as we head into a beautiful weekend as temperatures begin to warm up closer to seasonal. And I'll leave you with one last sensational shot from Smithers. Thanks to Russ for that. We do live in a beautiful province. Mm -hmm. So picturesque. Okay, thanks, Christy. Thank you, Christy. Some dramatic dash cam video captures the moment a massive avalanche covered a Colorado highway. Oh, no, that's not going to come down here, is it? No, that is. Is it? Yeah, it is. This driver pulling over just as the slide hit Interstate 70 in 10 Mile Canyon Sunday. Other motorists were caught inside the whiteout conditions and blinded as the huge wave of snow rolled down the mountain. The slide was triggered by fresh snow. Here it comes. No one was hurt. Incredibly, as most of the falling snow didn't actually make it onto the road, despite what it looks like in the video. You see the one guy in the white pickup truck accelerate a little bit and then realize, oh, I'm not getting out of this. And he slams the brakes on it. Mm -hmm. Pretty not wild. Sure what to do in that case. Mm. Everyone was okay. Everyone, Everyone was all right. Was okay. They saw their life pass before their eyes, yeah. but other than that, they're okay. True, true. Interesting little movie. That's what when the, the life passing you? towards well, your. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Before it's such a short movie. It's like two seconds. Like, what part of your life do you see? Oh, yeah, that. Oh, I'm dead. <laughs> well, yes, that's a very good question. How did the Americans become so good at sevens rugby so quickly? There's a lot of people down there. Yeah, that's true. They're big and fast and strong. And the weather is nice, so they can run all year round if they want. Uh, yesterday, the men's sevens tour was in Las Vegas, and the aforementioned United States won the tournament. Today, they all flew up to Vancouver for the tournament this Saturday and Sunday at BC Play Stadium. And we should mention, last check, 90% of the tickets for this weekend have been sold. And for the players, Vancouver is one of their favorite stops during the season. Every team is welcome the moment it gets through customs. 16 in all for the fourth straight year. It's an event that took hold of the city immediately and has kept growing ever since. It's been a huge revelation. I've been involved in the sport my whole life, and never before has any one thing that we've done transformed um, rugby in Canada. New people watching the game, new people enjoying the game, and also some on the commercial front, some funding that helps us to run programs. While Canada may get the biggest cheers this weekend, the favorite to win it could be the USA. They just won Vegas on Sunday, and they lead the entire series after five events. The Americans have gelled really well. They've got some great athletes. They've always had the athletes. They've come together well as a team, uh, and they're, they're producing some big moments. They'll be one of the favorites up here, um, which doesn't necessarily hurt Canada because if they continue to do well, that'll open up an Olympic spot potentially for Canada. Um, but, uh, you know, they also drove off their own crowd, their home crowd, so we're really challenging everyone here in Vancouver to get behind our boys and give them that same lift so they can maybe lift the hardware here in the Canada 7s. Okay, a couple of weeks ago we did some math on the whiteboard to see what the Canucks needed to make the playoffs. And at that time, we figured they'd probably have to play 600 hockey down the stretch. Now, they have to be even better than that. The lowest point total to make the playoffs in the last five years in the West 
was 87 points. The Canucks would need to win 75% of the remaining 16 games to reach 87. I don't think it's going to happen. And that's not a bad thing. All the Canucks really need to win now between this point and June is the draft lottery. Uh, Oilers in Buffalo. Do the Oilers still have a chance? Well, mathematically, yes, but it's going to be tough, too. Uh, Jack Eichel had two goals in the first period to give Buffalo a 3-1 lead on Edmonton. But then, in the last three and a half minutes of the second, the Oilers scored three times. McDavid, Zach Cassian there to make it 3-2. It was 3-3, and then with five seconds left in the second period, Kyle Brodziak tips in the Larson shot, and Edmonton holds on for a 4-3 win in Buffalo. I have to show you this from the weekend. Kevin Fiala, watch him. Number 22 season, a stick loose with his teammate and just flips it to him. Anthony Botero, here, have your stick back. Oh, wow. oh yeah, they practiced that for weeks. That Cirque du Soleil stuff there. NHL legend Ted Lindsay died today at the age of 93, won the Stanley Cup four times, was named one of the greatest 100 players ever to play the game. He was the guy who stood up to the owners and started the NHL Players Association. And because of that, the NHLPA's award for most valuable player, the one voted on by the players themselves, is named after Ted Lindsay. All right, to the Briar, BC, Jim Cotter's crew from the Okanagan taking on Team Canada. Brad Gushu. Cotter having a little problem here in the second end. Nope. That's a steal of one for Canada. They're up 3-0. Now it's 3-2, and this house is having a rock party. Everybody's in there. Last shot for Gushu. They're up 3-2 at this point. This is clutch. Bing, bing, bang. Three. Canada goes on to win this by the score of 10-4. Canada, Alberta 3-0, Northern Ontario 4-0, BC 2-1. Why am I showing you Tiger? Because he is out of the Arnold Palmer Invitational this week. A neck strain. He was quick to add this has nothing to do with his back or the back operation in 2017. He says he should be good to go by the Players' Championship, which is next week. And this is the first time he's ever pulled out of an event since that back spinal fusion operation. Well, the Vancouver Canucks are fading from the playoff race. We just talked about that. The Vancouver Warriors are struggling with a 3-8 record. But there is one team the Aquilini family owns that's playing great. And that's the Vancouver Titans, their first-year Overwatch League team. Overwatch being a video game, if you don't know. They essentially took an entire team from the lower ranks in South Korea and turned them into the Vancouver Titans. But they're 4-0. I'm going to admit freely, I really don't understand what I'm about to show you. But let's enjoy some highlights from a Vancouver team that wins. <laughs> Here are the Titans against Los Angeles. And yes, some of the Titans, well, there's Slime and there's Bumper. And here it is. This is Vancouver kicking butt in Overwatch. And again, I don't know what's happening, but apparently it's great. And this is another win. And the Vancouver Titans have surprised everybody in Overwatch. And they are 4-0 despite being a first-year team. They look different. Oh, there they are. There they are. Those were their alter egos during the game. Slime and someone else. Bumper. Bumper. All the other guys. He's just no report for tonight. Once again, big Arctic ridge across the region clearing the skies, dropping the temperature, but unfortunately not bringing much new snow. Grouse and cypress are cold at minus 7 and minus 8 today. Into the interior, blue sky across the region, but also very cold. Minus teens in Revelstoke, Fernie, Manny Park and Whitewater. 
Big White Silver Star and Sun Peaks also cold with temperatures below minus 10, but at least it's blue sky skiing all across the region. Kicking Horse minus 18, Mount Washington minus 9, and Powder King minus 14. Well, some sad news, of course, out of Hollywood. Luke Perry, the actor known for the 90s hit show Beverly Hills 90210, has died at the age of 52. Perry recently starred in the Metro Vancouver filmed TV series Riverdale, but had been hospitalized and suffering a massive stroke at his L.A. home last week. In a show about perhaps the most famous zip code in America, Luke Perry took up real estate as both the resident bad boy and heartthrob. Welcome to paradise, man. Welcome to your dream come true. His turn as Dylan McKay in Beverly Hills 90210 launched Perry into teen idol stardom. Even a simple appearance at a mall could stir up hysteria. I want to do something with my life. You know, I want, when my time here is up, I don't want to look back and see that I didn't do anything. More recently, he played a parent in the CW's Riverdale, a show that has spawned a new generation of teen idols. Even though it's tough, even though it might, it might cost you, you gotta do it. Fans are surprised to learn he died after suffering a stroke at age 52. But according to the CDC, 34% of stroke patients are less than 65 years old. Most people think 65, 70, 80 years old, they're going to have strokes. People in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s can have strokes just as well. Doctors say it's important to know the signs using the acronym FAST. Face, is it drooping? Arms, is there difficulty raising them? Speech, is it slurred? And time, if yes, quickly call 911. Perry is now being remembered by his co-stars, including Ian Ziering, who writes, God, please give him a seat close to you. He deserves it. Perry leaves behind a fiancé, two children, and a legion of heartbroken fans who tonight are saying goodbye. So see you I guess. Joe Fryer, NBC News, Los Angeles. Dylan. Yeah, I know. You love the show. I, yeah, I was, it was my era. Yeah. <laughs> and I have the theme song in my head. Right wow. in it. He will be missed, and by his new fans as well. For sure. Uh, thanks very much for watching. Hope you have a great night. We'll see you back here tomorrow.